I don't want to be known as, oh, that's the builder that just builds transitional homes and they all look the same. Or every home they build is a modern farmhouse and they all look the same. Like I want to be able to say, your home is truly going to be a custom home. It's going to reflect the way that you and your family live. Um, it's going to reflect your personal style because not everything I do is my style and my taste and I necessarily wouldn't want it in my own home, but I know it works for our clients and I know at the end of the day, it's going to be a beautiful product. So this week on the episode, we bring on Melissa Hershko and she is co-owner and designer uh, at Veranda Estate Homes in Calgary, up in Canada. And Melissa has been such an influence on Instagram. She has these amazing designs. They're super timeless. But what's amazing about her, she had her own podcast as well with a lot of information. Her name and Lynn did that. But she brings a lot of information, I think, to the public and to myself, just as far as the the design part, the construction element, pricing. You know, we discuss heavily lump sum, cost plus, how they do it, uh, their strategies as a business. You know, being in Calgary for so long, you know, their strategy for design build in their region and then how she works on design uh, outside of the country and outside of the state, right, where she's at. And, and so Melissa just provides so much value as far as business owner and systems and database and having all of this in line so that you can be a better business owner. And established in 1974, Veranda Homes' reputation for unmatched quality and service is a result of their dedication to the highest standards and commitment to customer satisfaction. Fascinating story of her, her husband Rob, and the business that they have created together. So welcome today to the AFT Construction Podcast, and we have one of my good friends, Melissa Hershko, with us today. So welcome, Melissa. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, and busy after the holidays. Melissa is interior designer and co-owner of Veranda Estate Homes. And, you know, as I mentioned, as you know, you know, I've been a big fan of the work that you do, Melissa, your husband, Rob, um, your whole operation. And it really is amazing. You know, you're one of the firms that, you know, you only post your own work. It's republished all throughout the country all the time. I see it on all these accounts, right? You know, even projects you've done from years ago. Um, so I just commend you because that, that's really tough as a designer, especially when you're working with different styles, you know, to make them timeless and make them really hit, you know, to the public, which is amazing. And so let me, let me start here. When you are working, you know, with a client, how adamant are you to pick all the selections up front? Is that something that is a company process by you or are you pretty flexible with that? Well, we kind of have a unique process and the way that we do it is when we're first meeting with potential clients, we actually have a very detailed questionnaire. It's about 10 pages long that we go through with our potential clients. And from there, we create a proposal based on the information that they gave us, as well as inspiration picks from, say, their Pinterest board or that they've sent me via Instagram. And we take these items and it's our job to kind of figure out what their budget is, what style they want, and what features and elements they can have in the home. So we actually have a, like, we go into the process with a really good, very detailed proposal with specifications and everything. However, that changes throughout the process because from when we first meet to when they're in the ground, it will typically be anywhere from three months to over a year. So with that, people's style is gonna change, trends are gonna change, things are gonna come out that they're gonna fall in love with. So typically is what we'll do is I'll kind of go through the home I usually start around the foundation stage and we'll go through the home and I'll go through room by room. So I'll design the cabinetry for say a basement bathroom and then create a mood board with lighting example, mirror example, and the faucets that I feel complement the space and the style that the client wants. And from there we're making revisions. So it's kind of constantly changing and evolving, but by the time that all of our selections are finalized, which is usually about just before, um, well, plumbing has to be done by framing because of rough ends, but everything else is typically finalized by the time we're at the drywall stage. So let, let me back up a little bit, I guess, because I think what's a little bit more difficult, I think, for you, as opposed to most firms, one such as myself, that's just a builder or other designers, is that you're managing the build, you're managing the design. I would imagine furnishings are part of that or accessories. So, you know, how detailed do you get budget-wise to say, okay, client X, 
here's what we have for the build costs. Here's what we have for finishes. You know, here's what we have for furnishings. Typically from when a client signs a purchase agreement and we are predominantly fixed price, we do a little bit of cost plus, but not that much. From when a client signs a purchase agreement, which is typically done as soon as the floor plans are completed, we stay within one to 2% of the purchase agreement price on the move-in date. So we get very specific with allowances, um, faucets, you know, say the kitchen faucet. I'm gonna be very specific in the brand and the model and the finish. And then if there's revisions here or there throughout the selection process, then it's a simple change order that we use. Um, but it's our job and especially my job because I'm helping the clients make these decisions that we are as close to budget as possible because Everybody has a budget and we want to be conscious of that and respect it, you know, which is, which is amazing. It's hard to do. It's funny. I, I listen to that. and It's amazing. I feel like us as a company, we've tried to do better, um, especially with the pricing and with COVID though, and with other things that have impacted like lumber, for example, I mean, how, what leniency do you have as far as some of the materials? Because some of the finishes, as you mentioned, you know, a faucet, you know, you could have a budget, maybe $2,500 for a faucet, but it's a little more open-ended maybe with masonry or concrete or framing or some of these things that maybe don't impact you personally, but they do impact veranda because, you know, maybe Rob's dealing with that aspect. Exactly. So a good example, because a lumber one was a massive one. I mean, we all saw across the board in North America, a huge increase in the cost. In one home in particular, which is a spec home, we saw over $30,000 increase just in the lumber bill compared to if we were would have been at that same stage pre-COVID, pre-lockdown, pre-world ending 2020 Armageddon. Um, right. It is what it is with a fixed price contract. And this is kind of the thing that we explain to people with a fixed price contract. That's a risk that us as a builder is taking on. That's part of our liability where if it's a cost plus, it's bonus for us because it's like, yeah, sorry, your lumber went up 30%. Here's you know your change order for that. Um, but the reason that a lot of our clients like the fixed price is because they have that peace of mind that this is the number, these are the features and the items I'm getting. And I know on move-in day what it's going to be if we don't stray from this. You know, if you're going to make the home a thousand square feet larger, the price is going to go up. If you're going to decide to add hardwood throughout every single bedroom on the upper level, rather than carpet, the price is gonna go up. But these are conversations and explanations that we have with all clients in the very early stages. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things where we do take a bit of risk, um, but we know our numbers really well. We actually come from, I don't wanna say a track home background, but Rob's dad started building in Calgary in 1974. And he was building in communities where it was one show home with three other builders and there was a show home row. You walk in, you pick the lot, you pick, floor plan one through 10, and then this is how much it cost. So Rob grew up understanding how to price out a home, how to keep the cost to where they are. And that's something that we've implemented with the custom home aspect, which not a lot of builders do where we live at least. Um, so it's really helped set us apart um, from some of the other builders. And one thing that a lot of people ask is, well, why would I not do cost plus if it's gonna save me more money? Cause there's this, theory in people's mind that cost plus is the way to go. When we've priced out, like, so we'll complete a home and we'll price it out. And typically we're gonna be between two to 5%. So it just kind of depends. Which one do you wanna do? Do you want the builder to take the risk or do you want mm -hmm. to take the risk as the client yourself? Yeah, and that's always the age old question, right? And I know that there's certain demographics throughout the country and through Canada, you know, that will dictate, different markets are different, you know, where maybe customers are, um, more accustomed to a certain pricing method, cost plus or lump sum, we'll call it. Um, and, and I think one of the challenges most builders have or most designers is that with a lump sum, as you mentioned, you really have to have a database. You have to have history. You have to have a good historical knowledge of what things cost, how much different designs cost. And so that way when you're pricing it out and it's really a matter of mitigating risk, who's taking the risk, you know, a cost plus, you know, I'm not going to have the risk the client does. It's just up to me now to make sure that I'm communicating that to them. You know, whereas if it's a lump sum, there is going to be a little margin maybe in drywall or paint uh, because at the end of the day, right, I have to do the QC and punch work and I can't build a client. And so, you know, it's more communicating that. So how many clients, I guess, push back 
saying, Melissa, we really want to cost plus, you know, I don't want a lump sum. I mean, do you get a lot of that? We, we actually don't. I would say maybe one out of every 50, to be honest, ends up doing cost plus. And the thing is, is fixed price makes us accountable. It makes us accountable for the construction time. It makes us accountable for all the work that goes into the home more so than a cost plus. And the reason I say that is there's one particular home that we completed recently. It was Springbank Custom One. Beautiful home, great community. And the day we put the sign on the lot with the clients, I stood there and I said, your home will be done before that home next door to you. This home was closed up. Stone was on, paper and wire, ready for stucco, roof. We didn't even have a hole in the ground. They're like, oh yeah, right. I'm like, okay, shake on it. And clients moved in. They have been living there for four months and the home next door is still not completed. And we that's don't amazing. rush, yeah. but that's the example of a cost plus. This builder is getting a management fee per month. What's the motivation? If you're if you're getting a 5000 or 10000 or whatever your management fee is per month, what's the motivation for you to push the trades, to show up every day? What's the motivation for you to push the client to make these selections so you can get materials ordered and everything else? So so how do you break down, and, and I don't want you to you know give away, I guess, all the secrets in your business philosophy here, but are you um, fairly open, you know, breaking out? Here's the uh, the design fee because there is design fee. There's cost to design the house and your time and your designers and resources and everything that you're doing. Um, are you breaking that out separate than the construction costs? Is it one lump sum kind of all in design build? How do you do that portion? Everything is all inclusive. So it's so one. So it's one price and everything's in there, including your design. Yes. And then in a and what about FF and E? You know you know, the, the finishings, you know, the furnishings, electrical fixtures, stuff like that. I mean, that would be an additional budget in, in, in addition to lump sum. No, everything is all included. So when I, um, I'm going to pull up here cause I have one right here. So one example, um, just an example of a proposal. So here I have a proposal in front of me for a 3000 square foot, two story home. It is 10 pages long. And this is before we've even entered into the design. So I'm including for, you know, exterior, I'm including square footage of brick. I'm including like a specific amount of square footage for, you know, concrete for the front entry step. Bedroom number four, double hanging in the closet with triple bank of drawers and adjustable shelving above. Full bathroom with custom built on site lacquered vanity. Like we're getting very, very detailed from the very beginning, which I understand can overwhelm a lot of people. Um, which we try to eliminate, but when we explain to them, this price is the price, it's not going to be one of those situations where, you know, high pressure sales, if you build with us, this is our price per square foot. And we'll give you so much for upgrades because to some people say the builder's like, I'm going to give you 300,000 for upgrades. You're like, Oh, wow. Cause for most people, that seems like a lot. Mm -hmm. Realistically, I mean, you know, because we build, you know, high end homes, 300,000 gone. Oh, you want to in floor heating in your basement? Oh, well, that's going to be, you know, $50,000 or whatever it's going to be. Oh, you, you wanted wood soffits on the exterior house? Well, that's going to be, you know, and before you know it, this amazing package that you were drawn into is gone. And now you're going to be significantly over budget, which is what gives builders such a bad name. And I don't like it. <laughs> it does. And it, well, it's hard to do. And, and as you mentioned, I think what's fascinating to me is still understanding the furniture side because it's so open-ended, right? You may have some clients that, uh, you know, say, I want to only spend a hundred thousand some, yeah, I'll spend 250,000 some, Hey, I'm only gonna spend 50 cause I have some existing. We need to make it work, you know? So, um, are you trying to just give an allowance for the furnishing side or are you trying to, um, also make those selections, you know, before drywall, you know, before you break ground. So with furnishings, most of our clients opt not to include that amount with the cost of the home because it goes to the bank and it's like, why do we want to pay monthly? When pay interest can, or, yeah. yeah. Why, why would we do that? However, some clients do want to have say a window covering allowance in because window coverings, a lot of people are quite shocked when they figure out the cost of what beautiful custom window coverings are. So yeah. a lot of times we'll put in an allowance and I always talk, I work with Heather from the Heather company, which is a local decorator here in town. And she works with most of our clients and we actually engage with her 
at as soon as the plans are completed because I need to know if we're going to have a floor plug in the office, what kind of desk is going to be there? Where does the floor plug need to be? Is it on the left or the right? Um, so it's very important mm -hmm. to engage with the decorator if the builder does not have one sooner rather than later because we just completed one home that had all um, automated draperies throughout the entire home and it affected the built-ins, the casings, and a lot of other features. And it also, we needed very specific backing. So if we didn't know this information early on in the game, we would have been repairing drywall before possession. We would have been, you know, missing half of the built-in because you have a stack of panel drapes that butt into it. Um, but in regards to everything else, so I would say actually furnishing is the only thing that most people don't include in the cost of the home because some may want to bring all the furniture and then realize, hey, nothing actually looks good in here. Yeah, nothing works. <laughs> and then, like my husband did when we moved into our last home. Um, and then other clients are like, new home, new everything. Let's start from the top and work our way down to the bottom. Yeah, yeah which makes the most sense. You know, so for you working through that design process, how long does that typically take? I mean, I'll, from our side, just to give some perspective, I would say most of my projects, from when I meet the client till we break ground, is typically eight months to a year. And our goal, even though I'm not doing design in-house, you know, I'm working with interior designers and architects, is to have everything decided. So my goal is when they submit for permit that I have a building set and my design book. Ideally, when I break ground, I have most everything decided. It allows us, as you mentioned, to be a little bit more um, certain, more practical, and, and more upfront of, of the total cost because I know what it is. I know what the finishes are, not that we can't change. Um, but that takes time. I would say my designers typically spend, you know, four months, four solid months of creating that design book, you know, finishes. So, you know, timeline wise, is that pretty similar to what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, we have clients anywhere where, I mean, I've even worked with clients from when we first meet to before we even get into floor plan design for over a year, some two years. Mm -hmm. And it's not constant, but it's constant communication following up. Hey, how's it going? You know, have you thought any more about your new home? And, and then all of a sudden they're like, I need to do it now. And I'm like, okay, hold tight. Um, you know, so that really yeah. varies. And then I would say once we have the floor plans completed and we do work, um, with architects and draftsmen locally, so that is not done in house, but we do include that in our purchase price, um, with any of our clients, the plan phase will mm -hmm. typically take us anywhere from three months on the short end, um, to, I, I would say eight months about the plan design. And I actually don't start any design work until the plans are submitted to the city and approved by the city. Because a lot of times you can have neighbors come around and say, yes. I don't want that third story loft up there. And now we're redesigning a whole home. So for us, because a lot of what we do is what's considered inner city, which I know some people have sent me messages on Instagram saying, ooh, where do you build? And I'm like, no, it's actually like the nicest areas of Calgary, but they refer to it as inner city because it's the inner city core. And a lot Inner of these city. areas, yeah. So a lot of these areas are older homes that are being either removed or demolished, nothing beautiful, nothing historic. Don't come at me. You know, like they're full of asbestos, not great floor plans, not workable. Um, but to do this, we have to submit the plans to the city and the city then sends these out to the communities. So the community actually gets to give feedback on the floor plans. So it doesn't make sense for us to do any interior design work until these plans get the stamp of approval from the city because it could change completely. That's fascinating. That's so much different than here because here, uh, you know, we have our local municipalities that dictate, you know, the building codes, whatever building code that they're adopting. And each municipality or city, if you will, has their own idiosyncrasies, right? Things that are important to them, whether it be like civil or grading and drainage or retaining walls, you know. Um, but when you look at, you know, past that, there's HOAs. You know, we have home um, owners, uh, homeowner associations, right, that dictate you know, how many finishes we can have, what color the house can be, height limit, you know, all these things. And so we know that if we're building within the municipality code, if we're building within the HOA, um, CCNRs, that we're fine. I mean, there's really nothing the neighbor could do. If he doesn't like it and we're within the height limit, doesn't matter. Whereas the, your city is sending it out. I mean, how far is that proximity? You know, if you're building house here on this street, how many neighbors get to see that plan and, and dispute the that? The whole community. It's awesome. 
it's That's actually crazy. yeah so there are <laughs> there are two different ways that you can submit to build in those communities inside calgary one is called a full development permit and the second is contextual and we always urge our clients to go the contextual route so contextual means is that we're going to take into account the homes on each side of the property and we're gonna have like kind of this envelope. And as long as our home fits within this envelope, then it can go contextual. If say for instance, there's not a front drive garage on this home, but you want it, that would then have to be a full DP. That then goes to the whole community. It gets posted for 30 or 60 days. And that's when your neighbor from three blocks down can be walking their dog and be like, well, I don't, I don't have a front drive garage. Why do they need one? and then he can go and complain about it, and then it can become a fight. And some communities are known to be sticklers more than others, for sure, for sure. That is amazing. I mean, that's just fascinating to me because that also adds a whole nother element to the process for you and Rob. As you're working with a new client, well, you have to get that out there and make sure that's approved, and that makes sense why you're not doing design. So once the community approves it, you know, you're trying to get that conceptual design so people can understand at least I would imagine the elevation, what the house is going to look like, the height. That way, hopefully there's no disputes. And then you can start working on specifications and tier next. Yeah, that's correct. Like we have one um, client, their plans were completed, I want to say end of November. And I have yet to hear back if we're good to go. I'm waiting on our architect for that home to file up or follow up with the file manager at the city and get an update for us because i'm like are we scheduling an excavator when can we hit the ground running so it really it also affects yeah. our scheduling and our timetable because we use the same trades from home to home to home i need to know like actually i don't i don't do any of the scheduling but rob needs to know when is the next one going to break ground so i can get the cribber lined up so we can get the framer lined up xyz so what you know, outside of the city, like the city and the neighbors that have a lot of same what you're doing, you know, with each of your projects, you know, what would you say is the hardest part of your job, you know, as a designer, as a builder? The hardest part, I think, for the work itself is just maintaining the balance, honestly, with my husband running a business together, like. I love every aspect of what we do. We have amazing clients, knock on wood. Um, you know, I get excited. I wake up every day and I'm excited. What do I get to design today? What project are we working on today? Which potential client are we meeting with, you know, that we can show off our product to? Um, for me, the really, the hardest thing is, is that balance with Rob and I. So a little personal, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, and that's tough. I, I can relate. Um, it's true. Yeah, having... Big family, and um, you know, for, for you, Melissa, where you and Rob are both co-owners, and you're working together. I mean, there's some complexity there that a lot of us are not dealing with, which which makes it tough. And and in addition to that, I would I would agree with that. And I'd say from our side, you know, I feel it's funny as a builder that we have systems, and I've you know, we spend a lot of time trying to get things lined out and understand our database and historical data and all these things, but. I feel like we still, the communication breakdowns still continue to happen, right, with our customers. And I, you know, it's, we, we had our team meeting this morning and I was talking to them about, you know, what are things we can do, you know, punch lists and documentation and be more organized to, to keep things from escalating to a certain level or missing things. And, you know, because I find that occasionally we get some unrealistic clients, like I'm sure you do, but sometimes, I think they're unreal, unrealistic due to what we're doing or not, or not doing or not following up. And, you know, how involved do the clients get? I know they're very involved with you in the beginning. Being that you're doing lump sum, are they, do you have clients that are there every week, every day? Hey, who's on my site today? You know, how involved do the clients get? Or do you have protocol to keep that, I don't want to say force field, but that balance between you and the customer? We do have a mixed bag of clients. We have some that want to be there every day and actually will rent a house right next door to the site if it's available to basically be our second site <laughs> supervisor. And then I have other clients that are like, we hired you for a reason. We trust you. Build us our home. We'll basically see you when you need to see you, you know, for electrical walkthroughs or anything else. Um, so there's, there's really a mixed bag. I mean, we have one client right now and she wanted to walk the foundation and Rob's like, 
you know, in 20 plus years of doing this, I've never walked a foundation with a client. And she's like, well, why not? And he's like, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked. But if you want to walk the foundation, let's walk the foundation. These are your basement walls. You know, so there's really, you get both, which I, I love because then it creates a balance for you. And at least for us with our trades and also with, with our staff, like they know if I'm going to this house, they're going to be following me around every step I go, or I know I can go to this house because I have a key to the house and I can just go in and do what I need to do and get out. And then there's others that are like, sit down, let's have coffee. Let me make you lunch. And then I'm calling them going, where are you guys? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's so true. And so how do you balance those clients? I guess going back to the budget side, because you know, you have an incredible talent working in the versatility that you do, Melissa. And so despite that, if you have a customer that maybe their budget is not realistic, if they want to do a modern design, knowing that the design they want is going to be a lot more expensive, um, you know, how, how do you pick and choose elements or do you guide them saying, well, we're only limited by X dollars because everyone has a budget. So we should put these dollars here. I mean, how often do you get involved in counseling them where they should put their focus or dollars or effort? Every single client, every single client. Because I've never had one client, maybe this year is a year, where they come and they say, this is my budget, this is the home I want. And I'm like, perfect, let's get her done. Every client has multiple proposals to work and tweak. And that's where we come in and we're like, okay, if this is the budget, let's design for X, Y, and Z that we can do down the road, but take it out to help bring the cost down. A good example is we had one home that we built, I want to say probably 17 years ago. And we went in about four years ago and ripped out all the carpet in the upper stairs bedrooms, added hardwood, refinished all the hardwood throughout the home, added wainscoting, added the bar that they roughed in for in the basement, um, and did things like that because we made provisions for it when the home was under construction but they wanted to wait until the little puppy had passed away and the kids were older and they weren't destroying the home. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, and and there's a lot to that. I mean, when you're designing and and I've seen this on the other side where I've worked with designers where maybe they're not sensitive to the parents that have young kids and they're specifying maybe a marble flooring in the kid's bathroom. And so how often are you involved even not only from, I don't want to say a luxury standpoint and an aesthetic standpoint, but also a functionality standpoint to think, well, let's understand your use here as uh, with children or dogs, you know, what kind of flooring should we be putting down, you know, to, so there's less preventive maintenance. Yeah. It's always something that we consider with every home starting from the floor plan, you know, and I, I always explain to our clients, I'm going to help guide you and help design this home the way that I would live and the way that you will live. So we get a good understanding of how our clients, you know, do they entertain a lot? How many kids do they have? Do they have animals? Are they small? Are they larger? Are they cats? Are they dogs? Are they alpacas? Who knows? Um, You know, and because I tell them, I'm like, (laughs) we're going to take this and we're going to be able, I'm going to use my expertise. Here's a good example of this one. We had clients bring us floor plans. So they had invested tens of thousands of dollars into these floor plans. I opened them up and I'm like, they have four kids. And Rob's like, yeah. I'm like, there's no closet in the mudroom. We live in Canada. You take your shoes off. As soon as you walk in the door, you have bags. Their kids play hockey. You have coats, you have mitts. So I'm like, what? You know, so it's just those little things that for us, I'm like, you need a big walk-in closet in your mudroom. If you have a lot of kids that play sports and you live in a Northern area like we do. And I just, I kind of looked at that and then I looked at like the pantry and the kitchen flow. I'm like, this person doesn't cook. Like this is a 6,000 square foot home and he's showing a 30 inch range. I'm like, this is a 48 to 60 inch range home, you know? And so I'm like, with that size of range, this wall now doesn't work. Um, So I kind of think final product when we're in design, even say a vanity. I'm like, okay, well, if you want two sinks in this vanity, If I can get four more inches that I can steal from another room, I know that I can get three banks of drawers that are all decent sizes versus two larger, you know? So I'm kind of along for the entire road, like going, no, let's tweak this to make this more functional for you in the way that you live. And then same with materials. If you follow on Instagram, you know, I love my marble. 
I love mm-hmm. my marble. Oh, yeah. I love my marble. Yeah. But I have told clients no before because I've seen how they live in their current home. And I'm like, your countertops will be destroyed. You will not enjoy the look of the, what I call patina. Um, so it's not something that I would suggest for you. If it's something that you want to explore, we will. But here's a sample of a marble countertop. Go put it in your kitchen and live with it for two weeks and then let me know what you want to do. I love that. So, so how often do you get, I guess that that's a really important point that you just made is that, you know, understanding the client's living is really important to how you're going to design their future home. So do you walk their existing home? Do you, do you ask them and I don't want to say pry, but at least try to get behind the scenes to see how they're living in their current home, where they're storing things, how they're living day to day to give you a good feel of what Sometimes we will go to their home if they have a home that they quite like, but maybe they just want to update it or move locations. And then we're going to be taking elements of that. We'll go through and we'll be like, okay, well, what works for you? What doesn't? Um, But that's also in our design questionnaire for when we are designing the home, we ask those questions. In your current home, you know, how do the bedrooms feel? What sizes are the existing bedrooms? You know, do you want them larger? Do you want window seats in these rooms? Um, you know, do you feel like you have sufficient storage in your kitchen and, and all these features? Because that's really at the end of the day, what's going to make this home a dream home for the clients, because it's going to be a dream when you move in and you're not going, where do I put these mixing bowls? I don't have a drawer for them, you know, and I'm kind of guilty. I'll walk through with my clients as the kitchen's being built. I'm like, your cutlery will go here. Your dishes go up there. Your glasses go over there. I keep the coffee cups in this one. And Rob's always telling me, stop, you're not unpacking for them. I'm like, but I designed the kitchen. So I know where everything makes the yeah. most sense. So, so I guess to that point, what's your favorite part of the house to design? Is it the kitchen? And then what's your favorite element to design? You know, cabinetry, countertops, the marble. I know my least favorite is a fireplace, a great room fireplace. Oh, really? I don't like designing fire. I just like, it's, that's interesting. So, so, so wait, that... there's just like there's only so much you can do. And I feel like I, I just, I don't know. I'm just, it's, I always leave it for last. It's always the absolute last thing I design in any home. I'm like, I'll do fun vanities first. I typically will work from the basement (laughs) and work my way up. Um, but sometimes like I'm working on one home right now. I'm like, I really want to design her laundry room, but I haven't asked them any questions about the laundry room, but I'm really pumped about this laundry room concept that I have in my mind. Cause a lot of times these homes are designed in my head before like we even start designing the floor plans. Like I, I see the clients and I bet you, if I actually lined up our clients and their homes, you would be able to go, okay, well, this one is Vanessa and Danny's home. Cause I can tell by the way that she's dressed and her appearance like this. I feel like my clients and the homes really speak to each other, which is what you want to do. You know, I have one client that walks in like so prim and proper and sweet and like beautiful blonde hair and pearls and always wore pastel colors. And I'm like, I would not do black cabinetry for you. You need soft tones. You need like blues and grays and maybe some blushes incorporated into it, and a beautiful quartzite countertop. And her house is a reflection of her a hundred percent. And that's what I love. I, I love that you have that creativity to look at someone, you know, maybe their, their aesthetic as they dress, their style, their personality, and then put them in that element and see it for them, which, you know, as I'm sure with you, all my clients have a hard time envisioning you know, everything on paper, even though you and I may be able to see it because we've been doing it for a while. So where do you get that inspiration? I mean, how do you keep that diversity of your portfolio to understand, well, this client needs to be, you know, uh, this color palette, this one needs to be a little bit more modern. And there's a stark difference there. I mean, how, how are you able to balance through so many different styles of design? It's honestly, it's the one thing that really drives me to, to start a new project is to do something different and do something unique. And I love the fact that our portfolio is quite diverse. I want to design a super modern home so bad. Like it's Mm -hmm. on my vision board for 2021. And the thing is, is people keep seeing what we've been doing. And so they kind of assume that's all we can do. But let me tell you what's designed in my head, Brad, is phenomenal. So I just need a client to come to us. So if anybody's out there, please call. Um, You know, but it's just, I really love being able to make every home unique. I don't want to be known as, oh, that's the builder that just builds transitional homes and they all look the same. Or every home they build is a modern farmhouse and they all look the same. Like I want to be able to say, 
your home is truly going to be a custom home. It's going to reflect the way that you and your family live. Um, it's going to reflect your personal style because not everything I do is my style and my taste. And I necessarily wouldn't want it in my own home, but I know it works for our clients. And I know at the end of the day, it's going to be a beautiful product. This episode is brought to you by Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove. For over 75 years, Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove has specialized in refrigeration, cooking, and dishwashing that can be found in some of the world's most luxurious homes. At AFT Construction, we look forward to crafting our client's dream kitchen when building the home of their dreams. To get this process started, we locate the nearest showroom and set up an appointment. It's that easy. Since Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove specializes in three major categories, we can make all of our kitchen selections in one stop. The first one is that Sub-Zero handles refrigeration. They are the preservation specialist. Key features included fresher, longer dual refrigeration, advanced air purification, precise temperature control, customized modular design. This ensures tastier, healthier food and eliminates waste so that the food stays fresher longer. Second is that Wolf is the cooking specialist. Key features include precise heat control, predictable, consistent temperature, intuitive controls, and easy to use technology, Everything is designed with you in mind. These features enhance flavors of food, ensure consistency, and eliminates guesswork. Delicious results every time. And last but not least is Cove, the cleaning specialist. Key features include precise water flow, superior drying conditions, fully adjustable interior for every need, and so quiet it never interrupts. Not only are all products functional and reliable, they look great, truly built to last. To schedule an appointment at your near Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom, visit subzero-wolf.com backslash showroom or click the link in our show notes below. Yeah, which is great. And and as I would love a modern one. Some of those ultra modern ones are kind of fun too. Like you'd see in Norway or Sweden or something, like you see these inspirations on you know, Pinterest or Instagram. And we have a couple architects here in town that do some of these really ultra modern, um, you know, concrete steel glass that you don't see a lot of, but you know, from your side, Melissa, are you and Rob doing any specs? Do you do only build the suit? Is it a mixture of both? Mixture of both. Um, so right now we have one spec under construction and waiting for a great piece of property to come up because as you know the one thing you can't ever change is location so with a spec home location is always key um, the one that we have in the ground right now it's at the drywall stage it's a fantastic lot it's 75 feet wide most lots in that community are only 50 feet wide it also has the front drive garage which most have detached in the back so it has a lot of the pluses um, and then everything else that we have either under construction or in the books right now is all pre-sale so mixed bag. And when you are, um, are, are you working with investors to do the spec? Are these self-funded, you know, ventures that are part of what you're doing? It depends. It really depends on the cash flow situation and what we have coming down the pipe. So that's more Rob's department. He takes care of that. And I just try to stay within the budget that he gives me for the spec home, which sometimes can be a challenge. Yeah. Do you have more fun design and specs where you have maybe flexibility and there's no client and now you really get to you know, put your vision on it, you know, the way you'd want it? Yes and no. I have more fun because I don't have to run my de ideas or designs by anybody and I can do what's in my head. No, because it's on me. If a house doesn't sell, it's because Melissa screwed up. At least that's what I tell myself. So I put a lot <laughs> of pressure on myself when it comes to spec homes because I always say with spec homes, you have to tick off as many boxes as possible to make it as marketable as possible to the masses out there. And what we do is a very small percentage of people in Calgary um, because of the price points that we build at. Like the one spectrum that we have right now is 3.7 million. Not everybody here has 3.7 million to spend on a home. So I got to make sure that we knock it out of the park. I may be painting the entire basement black in this home, which Rob may think I'm insane for doing and yeah. a few other people, but I'm like, I see it in my head. I'm like, just trust me. It's going to, cause you also want to have that one thing that sets it apart that people remember. Like, remember that house with that black basement? Who was it that built that? Oh, that was Veranda. Let's talk to them about possibly building our next home or something. Cause we also use these spec homes as our show homes. It's a great way to take clients through products that we built so they can see the craftsmanship firsthand. I love that. Yeah. And it, it, it's a very good point. When you're thinking of specs, there is uh, a strategy there that although you want to have some fun, maybe with, as you mentioned, maybe the basement or 
some accent walls, you still have to be careful to make sure you're hitting that big audience, right? Especially at a certain price point. And, and, and one thing I love about following you, Melissa, I mean, you are so, are, are you running your social media? Because you do a phenomenal job showcasing your uh, portfolio, your product on Instagram. So is that another venture that you're handling yourself or are you outsourcing that? 100% me. Wow. Part-time job. <laughs> so what made you start Instagram? I mean, I, I, I'm always interested on that question. Like, when did you start? Why did you start? How much work? How many leads did you get from Instagram? Do you see the value of the time you put into it? Let's see. Where does it tell you where you started? I think I want to say six or seven years ago, like a long, long, long time ago. Um, I got an Instagram. And what made you do it? Um, it was just, it was like the next thing. It was the next Facebook. And when I did start, it was, it was more personal. It was pictures of me and the kids. It was... It was, you know, more family vacation stuff. It was things around the house, what I'm cooking today or anything else. And then it slowly developed to be more business. And then we started to see the leads come in because of it, because people were following, you know, things to good old hashtags and, and using the hashtags that are, you know, local for us. Hashtag Calgary, hashtag YYC, XYZ, whatever. Um, so it has become kind of a beast within itself. Like I said, it is a part-time job. I spend a grotesque amount of time on it every day. I try to stay engaged because you can't figure out Instagram. You can't figure out, mm -hmm. you know, what do I do today to make it so people see my post? I mean, I have some posts that hit 10,000 plus likes, and then I have others that I think are going to be amazing. And it's a total dud that maybe gets three or 400 likes and only 1% of my followers see it. They're like, yeah, but why? Yeah, it's <laughs> the know? weirdest thing. So bizarre. It's so bizarre. I can't figure it out to save my life, which is why I, I do invest a lot of time in it. But at the end of the day, it pays off and it has a good ROI because it costs me nothing except for my time, which I do always say time is money. So it does cost me something. However, it gets us, I would say, a majority of our work in Calgary and a substantial amount of clients all over North America that I do design work for as well. I was going to ask that. So how often are you only designing for your own veranda state home projects or are you outsourcing design now outside of Calgary? So I will only design in Calgary for ourselves because I get people a lot of times saying, oh, I'm building with so-and-so and like, mm, sorry, like you want Melissa, you need to build with veranda because I'm just not, I feel what we do in our style really sets us apart here. And that's something that I'm not going to, you know, give another builder. And then but everything outside of here, I'm working on one amazing home in Park City, Utah right now. It's like I've talked to the client after our first meeting with the architect. I'm like, my mind is blowing. I'm like, your house is already designed in my head, even though it's only the first draft of this amazing, interesting, modern, cool home. And Rob's like, we got to go down there and build it. I'm like, I know, because they can't even get builders to call them back because I guess they're so yeah. busy down there. And I'm like, I wish we had that problem. We can't get to you right now. Um, but so anyways, <laughs> I'm working on one home there, um, quite a few in California, um, out east, New York. I have three right now in Boston. So kind of all over, which is a lot of fun. And it's more just like a consultation type of thing. You know, it's like, help me design the kitchen. So I'll lay out the kitchen for them and send it off to take to their kitchen cabinet company or give to their... Um, cabinet maker that's doing the cabinets or help me with floor stains, you know, cause my secret of floor stains and cabinet stains that everybody wants that I should like get into like somehow mass producing those, um, you know, but I'll, I'll get floor stain samples made for them, send them off to them, help with lighting layouts, lighting selections. It's a lot of fun. And it's something that I do, you know, first thing in the morning and last in the night. So veranda takes precedence during the day, um, during business hours here. And it's kind of my, I guess I, you could say my fun money, although it's paying for private school education currently, which is <laughs> for the kids. Oh, that's too funny. So I, and are most of these clients, you know, when you're working in Boston or Park City, are they mostly generated through Instagram and through the relationships you built on that platform? They're all generated through Instagram, all of them. So I would even say like I did a Q&A, we were on the road um, driving from Missouri to Dallas last week and I was like, got six hours, ask me some questions, which I love doing the Q&As on Instagram just because you get some really interesting questions thrown your way. And it's fun to kind of give people a little bit more insight than a 
little square picture or little clips that they see on a 15 second story or reel. Um, and anyways, I did mention, because I got quite a few people, can you help me design our home? And I mentioned, you know, I do offer remote services and the amount of emails and DMs that I got after I said that, it was kind of like, <sighs> yeah, here we go. Hopefully only a few of you bite when I send you the email, but <laughs> it'll be good. So right now for that, I am booking out into March just because I'm like, I, anytime we take on, whether it's a local client or an online client, I want to be able to give a hundred percent to each of those people. Cause I need to respect the investment that they're placing with me. And I don't want to, Bite off more than you can chew, as they say. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of good strategy to your, you know, being a designer, it, you know, working with different builders, it's very difficult because every builder has their process. They have their priorities. They have their methods, right? Their subcontractor base. And the feedback I get from designers and architects, well, every, because every builder is so different, it makes your process really good. It can make it very stressful. You know, that communication can be tough. And so I can see the advantages of, hey, if we're in Calgary, I'm just work, you know, only designing for our in-house, for veranda, and then outside, you know, yeah, we'll work with your builder, your local supply house or design showroom, you know, because, you know, you're not so much the day-to-day, -day, you're helping more, you know, as, as you mentioned with these design services. That's correct. And I mean, it's a full fix mat mixed bag of clients for my online clients. I have one right now in Palm Springs where they're building more of a track home. And she's like, I have to make all these structural upgrade I like decisions by Sunday. So I'm like, send them through because I can see one, what this builder is charging and where the value is going to be at the end of the day for a resale. Because as Rob says, we wear two hats. We wear a developer hat and we wear a builder hat. You know, and we're going to see the value in certain things that maybe other people won't. Like, oh, I really want this beautiful bow window. Okay, well, think about the drapery on this beautiful bow window and how much the curved rod is going to cost you. And think about also how it's in a primary bedroom, so only you are going to be able to enjoy it. Now, is this really worth the $15,000 change order that this builder is trying to get you to pay? And it's kind of like, oh, wait, no, that's, that's true. We don't need that, you know, so we work with that. And then, you know, other clients are doing fully custom, um, similar to what we do. And I either work with the client or directly with the builder, whichever the client prefers. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. And so what's interesting, cause you mentioned, you know, how clients will reach out to you because of your expertise, not just with marble, but also with stained colors and finishes, because if I understand this right, most of with your cabinetry, you're installing and building the cabinetry in place, correct? And staining it on site? Correct. So everything is built out of raw materials. So even the boxes are all hand built exactly to the measurement that they need to be on site. Everything is done on site. Um, we're one of the few builders that still does that here. It's a very old school way of doing it, but it gives you a completely flawless fit and finish at the end of the day. And the options are endless. Whatever I come up with inside this head of mine, um, they may not like it, but the finishers can do. Um, even like our powder room vanity in our own home. I remember I walked in, it was done. I was like, oh, I love it. And Mark just looked at me and said, never design that again. And just turned around and walked away. And I'm like, okay, sorry. You know, but it's just, it's a lot of fun. So, and yeah, with the stain, yeah. <laughs> every home gets a custom blended stain. I have never done the same thing twice. I don't like to do the same thing twice. So I'll work with our painter for weeks on end until we get the exact formula that's just perfect on the specific species of wood that we're working with because oak which is so popular white right now whether it is white or red is a very finicky wood especially when you're going light so it can take a lot of time to manipulate the stain formulation that you're doing to get it precise and then it also takes a lot of time for our painter to go through and what we do is basically shading the wood to get it more consistent because as you know a veneer versus a solid piece of wood is going to take the stain very differently but you don't want to look at a vanity and see basically a checkerboard right. you want it to be as consistent as possible so i mean yeah. when i say craftsmen like the people that we have on our team are phenomenal like the time and the energy and the talent that they put behind everything they touch with their hands, it just, it blows my mind on a daily basis. And I'm so thankful that we have the people that we do that work with us. Does. Well, I, I think that's rare. I don't think many areas I know here, I, I can't think off the top of my head, any companies that are going to be building in a place 
raw wood and then staying in the field, right? That that's a very high level of execution and expertise. Um, so from I, I'm just curious from a building aspect, when you are building the cabinetry on site, how at what time frame are you coming in and staining that cabinetry? Are you doing it immediately? Are you waiting till templates done, countertops, plumbing is in, backsplashes, and then it's the last thing so you can protect the finish? At what point are you doing that? So this is kind of like drywall's done after drywall hardwood goes in because we do not use any pre-finished hardwood either. It's all finished on site, same as our cabinetry. Hardwood goes in first raw. On top of the hardwood, um, all the cabinetry gets built. Once the cabinetry is done and the finishers are out of the home, and that's when the painters go in. Um, all of our trim work, passage doors, window casings, door casings, if it's a painted material, it's all lacquered on site, which is a multi-step process and you need to know what you're doing for that. Um, so basically the house will shut down for three to six weeks, depending on the size, and it basically becomes one giant paint booth. And the painters are the only ones that are in there during that time, and that home is theirs. And then after the home is painted and stained, um, the next step for that is then the hardwood gets finished. And once the hardwood gets finished, we protect the hardwood, we protect any corners of cabinet trees and everything else. And then from there, countertops go in after countertops, plumbing after plumbing, lighting. So we have like, we have our schedule that we follow. Um, but everybody, as I've mentioned, everybody that works with us has been with us for at least 15 years. So they know our process and they know the way that we work and they know our expectations. So it's not like I'm going to have somebody coming in after all my cabinetry is stained, whipping tools around, causing damage because they'd be in a lot of trouble. They know. You know, it's funny, just as a builder, listen to you speak to this. I, I don't think most people listening, unless they're doing this day to day, understand the complexity of putting in, you know, real wood floors, natural, right? Uh, the cabinetry, building them on site, turning that over, and then having your paint booth, as you mentioned, you know, stain booth go. Um, but the, the amount of care and expertise to do that is very high. And then protection is really important because... I know from your pictures, I mean, if you're dealing with a high gloss or a lacquer finish on a natural wood, I mean, th these are very sensitive finishes, right? They can scratch easy. They can get damaged easy. And, and it's really hard. In fact, some of these finishes, you can't even put blue tape on them, right? Because it'll leave the residue. And 3M says, don't put my tape on there. You know, so how are you working with some of those high-end finishes to protect them throughout the course of construction, you know, based on that timeline? Um, a combination, like on all the corners of all the cabinetry, we put like these corner boards and then um, a lot of uh, the foam back. Like ram board or something. Yeah, like ram board on all the floor. So typically is what we'll do is we'll do ram board in all the walking areas and we put chloroplast on top. So it's actually a double layer and the chloroplast will help any impacts. So if somebody drops a hammer, that's going to take the impact rather than denting the hardwood. Um, when we bring in appliances, because appliances come in after the hardwood is done, we have these big, super thick, hard plastic sheets that basically the appliances sit on and we use those to slide all the appliances into place. So when I'm pushing in a sub-zero fridge, I say, me, I'm not doing it. I just watch and take pictures and post the Instagram stories. Let's be real. <laughs> but as I'm filming the Instagram stories of them pushing in the sub-zero fridge, we're not going to have the four feet marks which have happened before and will never happen again. Again, it's all a learning process, but it, it's, it does take a lot more time, which I think is why a lot of builders don't do the finish on site flooring and cabinetry. Um, and it is a bit more costly, but at the end of the day, the product that you're getting is completely different than something that came in on a box that you screwed on the wall and then you walked away from. So when you're designing now from all these leads you get on Instagram outside of Calgary, how often or have ever any of these builders and clients done your same method or are they typically pre-finished, you know, for cabinetry and flooring? Pretty much everybody is pre-finished or as what I would consider a semi-custom. Like basically we can do any color, but we have to pick from their product. So with that type of situation and if they want me to design the kitchen, I'll do a very quick sketch because all of my drawings are done by hand. So they take a lot of time um, when I get as detailed as I do for our finishers here. But for my clients online, I'll do a quick sketch. You know, here's where I would put a bank of drawers. Let's 
pull out the range area and the bank of drawers on each side by two inches to give it some dimension along the range wall because it's so long. Let's do X, let's do Y, let's do Z and give that to them and then they take it to their cabinet maker because I really don't know what they're fully capable of you know, in regards to a cabinet shop. Like, are you gonna be able to do all the trim work and detail that we do? Are they gonna be inset? Is it is it face frame? Like all these questions that honestly, most of my clients are like, well, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well here, take my drawings to your cabinet shop and see what they come back with. Yeah, cause they have to do the shop drawings. And then of course you could sign off and say, yeah, this is the look we're looking for. And then hopefully they can execute at the same level that, that your sub base is typically doing right now. That That's typically what we hope for. Yeah, absolutely. And Melissa, I guess, you know, wrapping this up, you know, my, my last question for you is as many projects as you've done, you know, you've been able through your questionnaire, through your process, you have a really good idea of, you know, how to set the project up for success, you know, the budget, the cost, the timeline, lump sum, you know, how have you now applied how to vet clients? Because I would imagine there's still um, maybe some clients that come across your desk and you may from previous experience say there's some red flags, you know, I can already see it. You know, are, are there times where you ever walk away from a project because you know that there may be some issues down the road or do you still try to accommodate and take on, um, everyone that comes your way? We, we do that. It's a relationship. It's basically a marriage. We're going to be married for the next two plus years. We're not the builder that hands you a set of keys and walks away. Um, we have relationships with every single client that we built for for the past 20 years um, under Veranda's name. And if a client from 19 years ago calls us and says, hey, I had a leak, my hardwood got damaged, can you come and help me out? Absolutely. We'll, we'll arrange for the hardwood contractor to come. We'll meet them at your site for you, everything else, because they entrusted us with that investment at the very beginning. We want to be there. We want to be able to back up our name and back up our reputation. Um, and there are some clients that you meet and you just get, you get a vibe from them and you're like, we're not going to mesh well. And it's just at the end of the day, it's not worth it. I take this business way too personally like I'm the type I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning going did I do did I do this and I actually have a notepad next to my bed so I can write down things that I remember in the middle of the night and I don't want to deal with a client that I know we just can't make happy because there are people that you can just not please in this world and to me that's not worth it. Yeah, it might be another home that I can post on Instagram, but at the end of the day, no amount of likes would make that year to five worth it. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, that that's a big part. I mean, I use the the same verbiage there that we're married to our clients. And, and it is an interview, not just for them, but for us, because it is a relationship that, you know, if they don't understand the value you bring Melissa and Rob, then, you know, that that's hard because you know it's it's a tough industry it's tough what we do and you know for you building you know living in calgary building there doing homes for as long as you have at veranda, at veranda i mean you know i i had andrew patterson on from newport beach in california he said the one issue is that you know at every home you do your tail gets longer right your tail keeps getting longer in the warranty and so you know that's a whole nother element to how you're managing the warranty process. And as you mentioned, the phone calls, if something happens down the road and, and, and it sounds like you do have systems in place that at least keep that communication and help the customer navigate, you know, through those challenges in the upcoming years. Absolutely. And I mean, to, to me, service is key because an unhappy client is going to tell as many people as possible, but a happy client, you know, will really only tell when they're asked about how good the experience was. You know, you're not going to sit around the water cooler and go, man, Mel and Rob at Veranda were just amazing. I mean, and if they do, bonus points for them. There is a reason we give them logo Yeti cups to take to work um, when they move in. But uh, it, it's one of those things where <laughs> if, if you do service the heck out of your client, they're going to come back to you when they're ready to build again. And most people will build again down the road, you know, and we want to be there. We want to be the person that they're going to pick up the phone and call. And we're dealing with it right now. We have clients that live in one of our homes and they actually sent us a text yesterday and they're like, we would just like to formally ask you if you would want to build us our, our dream home. And I was like, of course, a hundred percent. And those are clients that built with us originally six years ago. And we've been there for every step of the way. If something did happen or if she wanted a light changed, I'll arrange the electrician for you, no problem. How does Monday at 9 a.m. work? 
You know, it's doing those little things that made them call us to build this next home. Yeah, it's so important. And it just shows, I mean, that's why you had the reputation you do, Melissa, and you built an amazing company, both you and Rob. And, and again, you continue to break the internet with some of your amazing designs that we'll have you uh, tagged here in the notes. But, you know, what's up next? What's exciting for uh, Veranda Estate Homes? Um, I'm just excited. We have some really fantastic homes coming up with clients that are willing to push the design envelope, which is always fun. You know, it's not clients that are saying, just do what you did over here. You know, they're sending me other inspo that they're finding on Instagram. Like, what about kind of this concept, but doing it in this way? I'm like, I'm all for it. Let me get like my brain wrapped around it and going. Um, so we do have some really amazing, amazing projects coming up, which is great, especially after 2020, because our market took a pretty hard hit last year once COVID hit. And there was a time where we're like, what do we do? Like, do we continue here? Like, is it, is it, is it worth it? And then as kind of the dust settled and people realized like life will get back to normal eventually, um, you know, the phone started ringing again and we're dealing with a crazy amount of potential clients right now. And I'm just, I'm honestly like that. I'm so pumped for 2021. I'm so glad last year is in the past. It's in the rear view mirror. And I feel like there's really going to be some amazing things that are coming up, not only design wise, but I don't know. We'll see what else Melissa has up her sleeve. For yeah, up her sleeve. Well, we can't we can't wait to follow along. And you've already done a phenomenal job taking us on that journey, Melissa. And so where can our listeners find you? They can find me on Instagram at Veranda Estate Homes and also our website, verandahomes.ca. Well, you've been amazing, Melissa. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit more about your process and you know to help us refine ours even more and appreciate the time you took today. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes. They're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.